Welcome back to the Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. My name is Kathy Kuhn, and I'm the Counseling Director at Rolling Hills. This week, we'll continue our series, Masterclass, focusing on the sixth chapter of the Gospel of Mark. Jesus has called us all to faith in Him, the Son of God who fed 5,000, which is five loaves of bread and two fish. We know our God can do incredible, miraculous things, yet the challenges of life sometimes feel insurmountable. So let's explore this week how we can follow Jesus' invitation to faith in Him, even in the most daunting of situations. Good morning, Rolling Hills Church family. It's so good to be together today. And I am so glad that you're joining in here at Franklin Campus, or if you're joining in online, so glad that you're a part of what God's doing here today. And if you're traveling, hey, I hope you're having a great trip wherever you are. But I pray God will speak to us. You know, we're in this great series called Masterclass. And I love this series because we're walking through each chapter of the Gospel of Mark. And we're just seeing it come to life for us. And, And Mark is so deep and so rich as we're looking at the very life of Jesus. And so we've been in Mark 1 through 5 so far. And so today we get to Mark 6. But Mark 1 through 5, you see Jesus' earthly ministry. And Jesus starts off, you got John the Baptist, the forerunner to the Messiah, preparing the way, you know, Jesus' baptism, calling the first disciples. And then Jesus begins to teach. He doesn't teach like all the religious leaders, right? He teaches as one with authority. And people are drawn and the crowds start to build. And then he starts doing these miracles, right? He's healing people, restoring people, lives are being changed. And people are coming from all over to hear Jesus. I mean, crowds everywhere. And here's the beautiful part about Jesus. He loves people. He loves people. And he sees the crowd. He has compassion on the crowd. But yet he calls people to follow. He calls people to trust. He doesn't just look at the crowd and go, hey, you're a crowd. You can stay on the sidelines, right? And I'll be over here. He's like, no, come follow me. Come follow me. And so he starts calling people out to this life of faith. And that's what we're going to see today. When we get to Mark chapter 6, Mark chapter 6 is kind of like the greatest hits, right? He kind of got all these big stories, these big things that hit, and you're just seeing this all unfold, and you're going, wow. But you're seeing Jesus, the divinity of Christ. He's truly the Son of God, but also the humanity of Christ. And the struggles that are beginning to happen, even with the disciples. But you see the call that God has for every one of us. And Jesus says, follow me. I want you to live a life of faith. I want you to live a life of faith. And so let's watch that unfold today. If you have a Bible with you, I invite you up with me to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible, right, maybe you have a mobile device, you can access the scriptures at Version. You can go to the Rolling Hills app and van, follow along with us. But this is so good today. And so pick up here, Mark chapter 6, verse 1. It says, Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. So Jesus grew up in Nazareth, right? And now he's been out doing ministry all over and he comes back to his hometown. And Nazareth's a small town. It's pretty spread out. So Jesus would have been out 
You know, he's just a carpenter. He's out there working. Uh, and so all these people are coming. They gather around to hear Jesus. Well, when the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were amazed. So Jesus comes back. He goes to the synagogue, right? The synagogue's the Jewish, you know, center. It's kind of like having church. He goes to the big church in the town. It's on the Sabbath, Shabbat on Saturday. And Jesus begins to teach. And everybody's amazed at his teaching. And they say, where did this man get these things, they asked. What's the wisdom that he has been given him? What are these remarkable miracles he's performing? Isn't this the carpenter, right? Isn't this Mary's son and his brother James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. So remember, Jesus is fully God, right? Born of the spirit, but he's also fully man, born of a woman, right? So he, he is there with Mary, his mom. And then you've got these half brothers and half sisters. Mary and Joseph went on to have more children. And, and so these like James, right? James will ultimately write the book of James, you know? Uh, many people believe Judas, Jude, who wrote the book of Jude, you know? So these half brothers, half sisters. And, and so here after Jesus' resurrection, all lot of these become followers of Jesus. They become a part of the early church. Now think about this. What would it take for you to convince your brother that you're the Messiah? I mean, you know, right? Like, I, but, but that's what happened, right? I mean, they realized I grew up with him, but man, look, he's different. Obviously, he's the son of God, you know? And James ends up giving his life. I mean, many people believe he's thrown off the temple for his faith in Jesus being a leader in the early church. Well, all these people are gathered around. They're listening to Jesus. They're trying to figure this out. They're like, we knew he grew up down the road. We knew he was a carpenter and he was faithful. He was great, but we didn't realize, holy cow, he's the son of God. Well, Jesus said to them, a people, a prophet is not, is without honor, except in his own town and among his relatives and in his own home. And he cannot do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. I mean, that's a miracle, right? I mean, like, you know, I mean, it always cracks me up. Like he couldn't do very many miracles there except heal a bunch of sick people. I'm like, that's pretty incredible, right? But then you get to verse six and he says, he was amazed at their lack of faith. He's like, guys, don't you get it? But, but see, they were focused on the physical. They wanted a Messiah who was gonna come in and overthrow the Romans. They wanted a political Messiah. They didn't realize what God was doing in changing the heart and changing lives. The spiritual Messiah. And so they're seeing this and they're having a hard time, you know, kind of putting it all together. And Jesus was amazed, like their lack of faith. You're, aren't you seeing the miracles? Aren't you hearing the teaching? You've watched me grow up. Do you understand what God's doing? <laughs> and then it says, then Jesus went around teaching from village to village and calling the 12 to him. So that's the 12 disciples, right? You got Peter and James and John and Matthew. He calls the 12 to him and he began to send them out two by two and he gave them authority over impure spirits. So Jesus has been teaching, he's been healing and he's had these disciples who've been watching. And now he's like, okay, guys, you get in the game, right? You're gonna go out two by two and I want you to go out in the name of God and watch this. He gave them these instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Like, wait, wait, run that back a bit. <laughs> You're gonna send us out with no money? Again, right, we get focused on the physical. Well, how am I gonna survive? Like, I mean, could you imagine going out? You're like, okay, but I'm not gonna take any money, but I got a credit card. Does that work? So, okay, you know, just in case, right? Just in case something happens, right? I got a credit card and my cell phone. I need my cell phone, right? I can't get it on my cell phone. Nope, nope. You just go, you just go wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. 
Just be dependent on the Lord. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. He's like, you're going to go out and I'm just going to use you. Go to these places. People are going to invite you in. Stay there. You know, do ministry there. Now, if somebody rejects you, don't get mad. Don't yell at them. Don't get in a fight. You just shake the dust off and move on. God's going to do something later on in their lives and in their hearts, you know, but, but you go on. So he says, you go out, you do ministry now. Well, they went out and they preached. They preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. What? Yeah. I mean, how crazy was that? They're going out now and they're praying for people and they're encouraging people and they're seeing lives being changed. And these guys had to be fired up. They're like, wow, this is awesome. We're seeing miracles happen. Then you got this part that takes place in verse 14 to kind of 29. And Herod, okay, Herod has John the Baptist imprisoned and then later on beheaded. And it kind of tells you what happens here in that whole story. Now, this is Herod Antipas. A lot of times people get confused because Herod the Great was the one when Jesus, right, was born and the Magi showed up and says, hey, where's the one king of the Jews? And Herod the Great's like, I'm the king of the Jews. What are you talking about, right? So he has all the baby boys of Bethlehem who are two years old and younger are killed. That was Herod the Great. Well, Herod the Great dies and his grandson, Herod Antipas, becomes the leader of this region. Actually, three of his sons kind of take these different areas. But Herod Antipas, and he loved John the Baptist. I mean, John the Baptist was, had this following, the forerunner to the Messiah. All these people were going out. But John the Baptist then stands up one day and says, hey, Herod, you should not divorce your wife, which he did. And he married Philip, his brother's wife. And John the Baptist goes, that's not right. You shouldn't do that. Well, Herod's wife now, Herodias, says, I don't like you talking bad about me. So they have John arrested. And then one night, there's this big orgy, this big party thing that happens right then, and the Romans, all this stuff that would happen. And her daughter stands up and does this dance. And all of a sudden, Herod's like not in the right spirits, but he says, hey, whatever you want. And she says, I want the head of John the Baptist for my mom. And Herod's like, no. And so he has John the Baptist killed and gives the head. And now Herod's thinking, John the Baptist has come back to life because all these miracles are happening. What's going on? What's happening with Jesus? But that just shows you that Jesus' fame, Jesus' popularity is spreading. All of a sudden, everybody's hearing about Jesus. And they're saying, well, who is this? What's going on? But the spiritual, not just the physical, the spiritual, the changing hearts, changing lives. Well, pick back up at verse 30. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have the chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So the disciples come back from all this ministry and they're like, Jesus, you wouldn't believe what's happening. He's like, yeah, I would, you know, <laughs> but, but come on, let's debrief it. Come on. So he's trying to get them alone to talk through things. But now here comes the crowd. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and they ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw the large crowd. Now, remember, Jesus is trying to kind of get along with his disciples. And so he sees the large crowd and you're thinking, well, how's Jesus going to respond? He's going to be like, hey, guys, hold off, hold off a little bit. I'm going to talk to these guys. No, he had compassion on them. He saw the crowds and he loved them. He loved them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. 
You know, sometimes you may think, you know what? I don't know if Jesus has time for me. I don't know if God's got a busy schedule. He's taking care of lots of people in the world. God loves you. Yes, he cares about you. He wants you to learn. He wants you to grow. He cares about you. And Jesus is drawing people to himself. And by this time, you can imagine this large crowd there. By this time, it was late in the day. So his disciples came to him and they said, this is a remote place, they said. And it's already very late. Send the people away so that they could go to the villages surrounding the countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. They're like, these people are hungry. Like, send them home, Jesus. Let them go eat something. And then he answered them, you give them something to eat. Uh, imagine the disciples are like, what? You know, it's like, no, yeah. Remember, you give them something to eat. You step into this. And they said to him, that would take more than a half year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? What are they doing? They're thinking the physical, right? They're thinking, we can't afford that, Jesus. We even have our Kroger Plus card, but man, it's not gonna take off that much of a discount, right? I mean, we, don't, we can't get all that food. We can't put it on the donkeys and the shopping carts and get it back here. We can't do that. Too many people. And Jesus says, well, how many loaves do you have? He asked them. Go and see. And when they found out, they said five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties and taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Isn't that amazing? Jesus prayed before they ate, right? That's like when I say a blessing before we eat, breaks, gives it out. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. Now, I think this is powerful right here, right? Because Jesus could have easily fed them another way, but he invites the disciples in. He says, I want you guys to be a part of this. He could have easily called down manna from heaven, right? They did that in the Old Testament. Manna just start raining down, the crowd's sitting there, bread just starts dropping down, you know? Could have easily done that, right? But no, he says, hey, you guys, you take it, you distribute it. He invites them to be a part of this. He's allowing them to be a part. So he says, hey, you go and give it to the people. He also divided the two fish among them. And they all ate and were satisfied. And his disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. And the number of the, now look at this, men. Not just people, right? It's very, you know, in the Greek, it's very gender specific. It says men. And so biblical scholars believe we're talking 15 to 20,000 people. The number of men who had eaten was 5,000. Can you believe that? I mean, like 15 to 20,000 people eat five loaves and two fish. Well, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd and why is that? Well, you know from the other gospels that all the people now, if they saw this huge miracle, they tried to make Jesus king. They tried to rush him and try to make him a physical king and try to have this revolt against the Romans. It's just like, whoa, 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 no, 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 no. I'm doing spiritual work here. I'm working in people's hearts. So he sends the disciples ahead on a boat. And after leaving them, he went up on the mountainside to pray. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake and he was alone on the land. Okay, so think about that. They're in the middle of the lake. Now the Sea of Galilee, 14 miles long, seven miles wide. Jesus is on the land looking out, right? They're in the middle of the lake. And he saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. So Jesus sees. He sees the struggle they're facing. He sees the battle they're fighting. 
They're in the middle of the lake and they're going through this storm. You know, Jesus sees you. He knows when we're going through struggles. He knows what's going on in our hearts. And, and maybe on the outside, we could put on a good face. Maybe on the outside, we could think, hey, I want everybody to think I have it all together. But, but he knows. He knows. And I love what Jesus does. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them. He went out to them. He went out to them in the middle of their struggle, in the middle of the challenge, in the middle of the war they were fighting. He goes out to them walking on the lake. And he was about to pass them by. But when, he, when they saw him, walking on the lake. They thought it's a ghost. It's a ghost because they had never seen anybody walk on a lake, right? You know, so then they like, it's a ghost. And they cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. And immediately, Mark keeps coming back to that. Immediately, he spoke to them and he said, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Maybe you don't need to hear anything else today. <laughs> Just hear that. Take courage. Jesus is here. Don't be afraid. God's got this. He's with you. Then he climbed into the boat with them. Isn't that awesome? He climbed into the boat with them and the wind died down and they were completely amazed for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. They were still thinking in the physical. They make the boat trip over to the other side. And once they get to the other side of the lake, everybody's coming, all these people. And he continues to heal people as you see at the end of Mark chapter six, and that leads in to next week as we unpack Mark chapter seven. But I think there's some incredible spiritual truths for us today. So if you've got a worship guide or if you're online, you go to the Rolling Hills app, I'd love for you to write a few things down because I think, man, God has an important word for us as disciples as we are called to live this life. First of all, I want you to see this. Jesus calls people to faith. Don't miss it. Jesus calls people to faith. And we could try to make it about a lot of other things. We could try to make it about singing or we could try to make it about studying. All these things are important, but, but the real call is to follow. The real call is to trust. See, he was amazed at their lack of faith. You know, when Jesus looks at our life, you know, is he, is he more amazed at our faith or is he more amazed at our lack of faith? Is he, more, is he like, way to go? You know, you're trusting your father. Or is he going, come on, come on, trust me. See, you can be so familiar with Jesus that you miss him. And I think that's what happened for a lot of those people. Right? We've just kind of been around it. Sometimes if you've grown up in church, that can happen, right? You just kind of, I just grow up here. I just gets familiar. And we lose that sense of awe and wonder and what God's doing in our own lives or what God's doing in the world. I remember when I was in college, you know, I, I grew up in a great church in middle school and high school. I, I was so thankful. And my parents took me to church and way to go, parents, bring your kids to church. Good job. Because I, I had this great spiritual foundation. So when I got to college, I got to be a part of this Bible study. I was in this Bible study. There was a guy who led this Bible study for four years named Louis Giglio. It was a great study. It was, man, I was just, so four years. And I'm just loving it. I'm learning. I'm growing. I'm growing. And I remember when I'm getting ready to graduate college, I went to this church and I'm sitting up in the balcony and there was a guy who stood up to preach and he was probably about 75 years old. And I remember thinking, you know, what's he going to tell me, right? I mean, like, I mean, you know, he's 75, I'm 22. I'm worried about, you know, I got to graduate school. I got to get a real job. You know, what, what, you know, I'm thinking of my life, you know, my mind, all these things. And I'm going, what's he going to say to me? And so I kind of checked out. I mean, really, I have my notebook, but instead of taking notes, I was just kind of sitting there going, okay, where are we going to go to lunch? I got an intramural game today. You know, I'm thinking about all these things that I really wasn't paying attention. And then all of a sudden, 
He said, a godly man is one who is easily edified. And I remember, I don't know if it was him who said it or it was the power of the Holy Spirit, but I was sitting there and I was kind of looking down and it was like, whoa, a godly man is one who is easily edified. And I thought, man, I about missed it. God had a word today. God wanted to say something and I almost missed it. See, God's word never returns void. And what I have to realize is this, is that God's always speaking. God's always talking to us. And I can get so familiar with things. I can get so comfortable doing a lot of things that sometimes I can miss Jesus. And that's what happened for some of the people back then. And they wanted Jesus to be there and be this political Messiah when all of a sudden Jesus was going, I'm doing something in your heart and in your life. And I'm transforming the world by the power and the grace of God. Don't miss him. See, this is important for all of us, right? You can be in church a long time and lose the wonder at what God's doing. And we can get so familiar, we just kind of go through the motions and yet God's going, look at what I'm doing. You are dead in your sins and your transgressions. I've made you alive in Christ. You are a new creation. Man, let us never lose the joy of what God's doing. I mean, God's at work in your heart. God's redeeming, God's restoring. He's making all things new. You know, for us as a church, Guys, we started with 15 people in an apartment clubhouse with a Bible study on Thursday nights. We had no money. We didn't know what we were doing. We just started praying. Good God, we want to reach people for Christ. We want to love people. We want to be a part of what you're doing in this world. I mean, sometimes I just walk in and go, it's only you, God. I mean, just look at what God's doing. It's only him. It's only him. We just celebrated last week, our hundredth person being baptized. I mean, in 10 months. I mean, just in the last 10 months. I mean, God is changing hearts and changing lives always, always, always be looking for what God's doing and always keep that wonder and that awe. You know, God's using his church, right? In Moldova, we have 42 people working there and through Justice and Mercy International taking care of Ukrainian refugees and orphans. I mean, it's only the Lord who's put us in these places in the Amazon and all around. And guys, God wants to use you and God is at work in your heart and in your life. Praise be to God. Praise be to God. Just always keep the wonder at what God's doing. Hey, listen, are you praying for God to do big things? See, faith is trusting that God's at work. Faith is God inviting us into his bigger story. So when you and I start praying for God to move in a mighty way, that's when we see God move in a mighty way, right? We're inviting God into the situation. And I think for those disciples, right? Hey, Go feed these people. And they're like, uh, we're just thinking about the physical. How are we going to do that? Instead of going, hey, Jesus is right here. Jesus, you just sent us out and miracles happen. Jesus, what do you want to do? What are you praying for God to do? What are you praying for God to do in your own life? What are you praying for God to do in your family? What are you praying for God to do in your community? What are you praying for God to do in our church? What are you praying for God to do in our nation? What are you praying for God to do in this world? Let's be bold. Let's be bold. Hey, listen, in Hebrews... Hebrews chapter 11, it says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. It's it's the spiritual, it's inviting God into the spiritual, not just the physical. Hey, this is what the ancients were commended for. And you know, Hebrews 11 is the faith hall of fame. You know, today we've got the, you know, football hall of fame and the basketball hall of fame, the country music hall of fame, but there's a faith hall of fame in Hebrews 11. And there's people, man, and they're like Noah and Moses and Abraham and Deborah and these, these amazing people who live, but they live by faith. God's going to do something. God's at work. And I don't want to miss him. Man, 
Let's be people of faith. Hey, listen, Jesus gives us experiences to grow our faith. I mean, that's what the experiences of life are. They, they grow our faith. Calling the 12 to him, he began to send them out two by two. Notice that. And he gave them authority. Gave them authority. Jesus sends us out to grow our faith. You know, he wasn't just talking to the crowd, the crowd who was sitting on the sidelines. He's like, hey, come step into the game. Be involved, be engaged. And when you and I go out, man, that's when we see God do great things. This is why I love short-term mission trips, right? I love, we took our family to the Amazon at spring break with JMI. And man, it was incredible. My kids just getting to experience that. If you've never been on a mission trip, I just encourage you at some point, go. Because what happens is you go and you pray every day. And you're seeing God do these miracles. And then you come back and you go, I want to live that way. I want to live that way. I want God send me out, right? Send me out to my workplace. Send me out in my neighborhood. Send me out, you know, wherever I am, you know, for the glory of God. But God sends us out to grow our faith. Hey, we're not sent out alone. And I think sometimes we can think, man, I'm on this journey alone. No, you're not. That's why God gives us church. He sent them out two by two. They came back. They rejoiced. There were 12 disciples. It's important to be in community. You know, we need each other. And that's why God gives us this community. Listen, Jesus also gives us authority. Authority. See, sometimes we think as Christians, you know, oh, I've got to be sheepish. I kind of, you know, sit back and, and no, 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 no. Listen, the 12 go out, they have this authority. The same Holy Spirit who is working in the Bible is the same Holy Spirit who's working in you. When you become a Christ follower, God places this Holy Spirit in you. And now you can begin to pray for people. You can begin to encourage people. You can be able to speak hope and speak life into people. And it's the authority of Christ working through you. We don't have to sit back, right? We can engage. We can engage. So here's the call for all of us. Learn to live by faith. Learn to live by faith. This is where the Christian life comes to life, right? It's learning to trust God. It's learning to walk with him. It's learning to pray bold prayers. This is the call for us. Now, living by faith doesn't mean there'll be no challenges, okay? And I just want us to, to know that, you know, because there are challenges that come. Look, when Herod heard this, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised from the dead, you know? I mean, they, there's challenges that happen. Faith in Jesus doesn't mean everything will be easy. Sometimes people go, well, I've accepted Christ now and it's all gonna be rainbows and unicorns and cupcakes. You know, it's like, no, there's challenges. Now there's incredible joy in following Jesus. Yes, I love C.S. Lewis and I love that C.S. Lewis, you know, he titled his autobiography, Surprised by Joy. Because he's like, here I was an atheist and I thought, you know what, the Christian life, it's gonna be boring. He's like, it's anything but it's joy-filled, it's purpose-filled, it's peace-filled. I mean, it's incredible, but it's also not easy. There's challenges that come. And sometimes you can be in the center of God's will and still go through challenges, still go through struggles. L listen, we live in a broken, fallen world, right? When man sinned, sin entered in the world. Hurt people hurt people. We see it all the time. So there will be these challenges that come our way, but we do, must do this. Our faith must grow in times of hardship. What if when we experienced hardship, instead of saying, God, get me out of this, we begin to say, God, what do you want to teach me through this? God, what are you going to teach me now? And how can I respond? 
What if when all of a sudden we get a, an email or a phone call or something and we go, oh, that wasn't the news I wanted. But maybe God, you've got something else and I'm gonna trust you. I don't understand because in my thinking, right? I want the political Messiah. In my thinking, I want this to be done in a different way. But maybe you're doing something bigger and I wanna hold on to you. Here's what James writes. Remember, half-brother of Jesus, follower of Jesus, leader in the early church. James says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Now, I don't know if you're there yet, right? <laughs> like, oh, great, no trials coming. Yay, pure joy. Maybe not. But as we grow, as we grow, we start to learn. Hold on. Why? Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. So let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Hey, do you know some of those people that are older in your life? And, and man, they've just walked through some challenges, through some struggles. But man, you see them and they're just a rock. They're a rock. And when times are hard in your life, you go, man, I'm gonna go talk to dad. Or I'm gonna go talk to mom. I'm gonna go talk to my grandmother. You know, I'm gonna go talk to this person who was a mentor to me because they've been through it, but they're just a rock. Man, I love those people. Yeah, I just, I love that. And that's what God wants for us. God wants us to be people of faith and people of joy, people of peace. It doesn't mean everything's easy, but man, there's a lot of incredible times. There's lots of awesome times that come, but there's also challenges. But the way we respond to challenges should be different than the way of the world. Instead of getting mad and angry and upset and bitter and living in that resentment, all of a sudden we're going, hold on, hold on, hold on. God's doing something. God's doing something. And I'm going to hold on to him and I'm going to trust him and I'm going to grow in him. Here's the thing, right? Man, I can't forget this. Many Christians today suffer for their faith in Jesus. You know, I mean, we all have issues. We all have problems, right? But, but we also have to remember that we've got brothers and sisters in Christ who are going today to underground churches in different parts of the world, just wondering if they're going to be arrested for their faith. Just wondering if they're going to be put in jail. Just wondering if they're even going to make it out today because they're following Christ. And for us, man, we, we have real problems. We have real issues. We have real struggles. But for us to remember that God is with us also. And for us to be encouraged by those people who have that kind of faith and for us to pray and encourage them and then pray for us that we don't get distracted by the things of this world, but we stay true to Jesus. That's our call. Hey, look at this. Living by faith is where you see the miracles. You know, these 12, they go out and they come back and they're so fired up. They're so excited because they got to see God do miracles. That's the way I get, <laughs> we get to live, man. See, the number of men who was eaten, who ate that day, right, were 5,000. I mean, they, those people go out, these disciples, they come back, they're distributing the food and 5,000 men. Jesus tests the disciples' faith. You know, when Jesus asked them, hey, you guys go feed them, what was he doing? They just returned from seeing these miracles happen. And now he's saying, hey, you guys go feed them. And immediately, instead of thinking back to what God's already done in their life, they look at their circumstances. And their circumstances seem overwhelming. And they think, we can't do this. How many times in our lives do we look at Jesus or do we look back and go, you know what? My circumstances I can't, I can't accomplish that. And forget what God's already done in our lives. Forget about the miracles that God's already performed. Forget that God's already saved and redeemed us. Forget the lives that God's already changed. And then we immediately, when circumstances change in our lives, we go back to the old life and go, oh man, I can't do this. No, you can't, but God can. 
You can't, but God can. They never prayed about this. They never turned to Jesus in this. They just immediately went back to the old and Jesus was testing their faith. See, we do have a call to feed the hungry. In our do good local summer challenge, right? Where we're gonna feed the hungry. That's important. Jesus feeds the hungry. But if you also notice when the crowds came, what did Jesus do? The first thing he did was he taught them. We gotta meet physical needs, but we also have to meet spiritual needs. Both are important. And we're not called just to be a humanitarian organization because people continue to get hungry. We've got to teach them about the love of Christ and the grace of Christ. That's our call as disciples. Look, put a little into the hands of Jesus and watch him work. You put your heart and your life in the hands of Jesus. You put everything in the hands of Jesus and watch him work through you. And I think so often we try to live it on our own. We try to make it happen on our own. And we lose the power and the grace and the goodness of God. When we put our lives in the hands of Jesus, that's when miracles happen. You know, as a church, we met in the Cool Springs Movie Theater for five years. So every time you go see a movie now, you go, hey, that's where my church met. You know, right here, you know, it's like, we met there for five years. Set up and tear down every week, every week for five years. And we began to pray, God, we need a new place. And, and we didn't know where to go. I mean, we had no place. We had no options. We had no money. I mean, here we are, a five-year-old church, average age, 27. And on one Sunday, we, we just began to pray. We began to fast. We said, okay, God, we, we, we just trust you. We're just going to take our little. We're going to put it in your hands and see what you do. And so one Sunday, we, we told the church, we said, and many of you were there. It was incredible. I'll never forget it for all my life. But we put a wheelbarrow down front, Theater 15, over there at the movie theater, right? And, and we just said on a Sunday morning, we said, hey, everybody bring an offering. And we're going to give, and we're just going to watch, see what God's going to do, right? And, and so we did. And I remember our kids came in first, and that like got me right there, you know, because our kids, all these kids are coming in, they're taking their piggy banks, and they're just dumping it into this wheelbarrow. And you're hearing the change, and you're just like, oh, you know, you're just like, I mean, kids, they have all this faith, right? They're just pouring it all in. They're like, I'm not holding back. And they're just like, I trust, I believe, you know, and they're like, why Jesus said, I have the faith of a child, right? And so here they are. Well, then everybody else, we got up and we came down and we started putting, you know, I mean, out of our savings or retirement, we didn't care. we're just like, we're just going to believe, we're going to trust. That afternoon, <laughs> our finance team met and they were met and they were counting the money and they called me on my cell phone and they said, Jeff, you wouldn't believe it, but the church just gave $1 million. I'm like, stop. I was like, I thought you were kidding, right? I thought it was like a ghost walking by. I'm like, no way, no way. You know, immediately I'm thinking the physical, there's no possible way. And they're like, it happened. I, I can't explain it. And then all of a sudden it hit me. It's like, it's the feeding of the 5,000. That's exactly what happened. You take a little and you put it in the hands of Jesus. He just multiplies it. I don't know how he did it. The disciples were passing it out going, it's still there, still there. Yeah, I mean, like, how do you explain it? You are sitting in a miracle right here. God allowed us to buy this big building, right? We would have never dreamed that. We could have never planned that. That was the Lord. And every time I come, I'm just like, we're in a miracle. And you know, God, what are you going to do next? What are you going to do next? So here's the question. Uh, are you living by faith? Don't get so comfortable that you forget what God can do. Don't get so comfortable with the world or with life or with church that you forget that he's a God of miracles. He's a God who can change hearts. What are you praying for? Maybe you're praying in your own life. Maybe there's fears or worries. You're thinking, I can't do this. You're right, you can't, but God can. Maybe you're looking at your marriage and just saying, God, I need a miracle. And he can. 
Maybe you're looking at your kids and going, God, I need a miracle. He can. Maybe you're looking at your community. Or maybe you're looking at our nation and just saying, God, we need a miracle. He can. Be bold. Pray big prayers. Live it by faith. You know, this week, you guys, um, it was hard. I probably, like many of you, and I uh, heard the news about the shooting in Uvalde. I just, I just started weeping. I was crying. I mean, these are kids. These are children. It's an elementary school. And the evil, and I just, I just couldn't. I was angry. I was mad. I was tearing up. You know, I grew up in San Antonio, Texas, which is about 85 miles from Uvalde, so I know this town. My heart just went out to all the parents. I couldn't imagine, you know, dropping your kid off at school and them not coming back. My heart went out to the churches. I just think about churches and how are you going to minister in this time and in this place? Law enforcement and all the leaders there. Just praying, just praying. And I kept coming back to this and going, God, I was in San Antonio for a while. You know what? What if we could have reached out to this community? What if, what if somehow we, Somebody could have reached this 18-year-old kid. What if, what if by your grace, somehow his heart could have been changed? I mean, this could have never happened. And, and you know, as a nation, we've, we've got to ask some hard questions, right? We've got to make some hard decisions. This can't continue on. But as a church, this is our time to step in. This is our time to be bold. This is our time to pray. This is our time to call. This is our kind of time to step up. But it's only God who can change a heart and a life. And that's what we've got to pray God will do. I received this email about a couple of months ago from somebody on our online campus. And, and they said, good morning from Woodbury. Just wanted to connect with you this morning and thank you all for your ministry. I'm originally from Lebanon, Tennessee and, and furloughed out to this facility from the Wilson County Jail for 12 months after violating my 10-year probation. I've been a drug addict for over half my life. And today I'm sober, almost five months, which is about three months longer than I've been able to be sober since 1999. I discovered Rolling Hills via the Christmas morning service on TV while visiting my parents that day. I downloaded the app and just received my free book on Psalms last week. We wrote a book last fall about mental health and from Psalm 23, and we sent it out to people. And, and this person writes, we attend Celebrate Recovery here, and, and God is doing mighty things in our lives. Many of us are felons. Many of us hold jobs and have transportation. All of us have been given a second chance at life. God is faithful. God is good. Please share. Please share with the church and whoever else that you like. The performance and the pastor's message made a huge impact on my soul. God's grace is enough, even for an ex-meth head like me. God's grace is enough, even for an ex-meth head like me. And I just thought, you know what? It's only God who could change a heart. And that's as a church, we've got to be praying for the people around us. We've got to be speaking truth. We've got to be sharing the love of Christ. We've got to be inviting people and saying, hey, listen, read. Here's a book. Here's a Bible. Here's a way that you can connect with Christ. There was a guy in our church who came up after the last service, and he said, that story, that's me. He said, I grew up like that. He said, there was so much hate in my life, and, and there was so much destruction in the people around me. that, I, But God got a hold of me. And I know this man, and I looked at him, and here he is now, a husband and a father of two teenagers who love Jesus. And I just thought, that's how life has changed. That's how God transforms the world. Jesus 
His love is contagious. And he calls us and he draws us to himself. But when we come to know Christ, he sends us out to live on mission. He doesn't say, just sit back and watch this world. He says, no, you engage. You be the hands and feet of Christ. You love, you share, you pray, you be bold. And that's our call. Let's live by faith. This is our time. You know, the disciples had their day. Right? Your parents, your grandparents had their day. This is our day. And they went through wars, and they went through tragedies, and they went through struggles. But you know what? They stayed faithful, and so should we. And they've passed that faith on to us in our day, in our generation. And this is our time. And we have a call to reach out. In this broken world, in this lost world, people need Jesus. And God's going to work through you. Would Jesus say, yes, I'm yours. I'm yours. Use me, Father. I want to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes right now, just for a moment. I don't know where you are today. Maybe there's a battle going on in your heart, your life. Maybe you feel the struggle against the horse. Man, you're just like pulling with everything you got. And today you just go, I'm going to let go and let God. God, I need you. God, I need you. All the fear, all the worry in my life. God, I need you. Come in, bring healing, bring hope. Maybe today, right now, Father, God, right now that you would speak. There's some people right here, Father, that all of us are your disciples. And God, you've called us to live by faith, not by fear. You've called us to share your love and share your grace. Don't let us be comfortable. Don't let us be familiar. Let us be people who are bold. Let us be people who encourage. Let us be people who pray. Let us be people who walk and speak truth and live our life on mission for you. Jesus, our world needs healing. Our nation needs hope. Our kids need help. And you've called us to be your disciples and to point people to you. So let us decrease and you increase. Let lives be changed and transformed. You're a God of miracles. We pray you will do it again. Thank you, Father, for meeting us right here this morning. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. After the service, I'll be here. There'll be people on our staff, our pastoral care team. We'd love to talk with you, pray with you. Whatever's going on in your heart and your life, you're not alone. I want to invite our ushers to come forward at this time. It's a chance for us to give back, a chance for us to invest for God's goodness and for God's grace. And and I just want to say thank you, church, for your generosity, because it matters. I mean, you're making a difference around the world through your giving and through your loving and through your prayers. If you're a first-time guest, all we ask is that you would give us that connection card. If you have a prayer request, you write that on there, drop in the basket. If you're online, you go in the chat room, let us know. We'll pray with you. We'll pray for you. So right now, we say a short prayer. We'll have a chance to give. Father, thank you for your presence. Thank you that you're with us, that you're for us. Let us live boldly, God, by faith. Let us live the life you've called us to. And it's in the beautiful name of Jesus. And into faith I go. Amen. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to our Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast, part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network. If this content has blessed you in some way, we hope you will share it with a friend and subscribe so you never miss a new sermon. Be sure to check out our other great podcasts like the Making History Parenting Podcast, Men's Leadership Network, and the RH Women's As You Go Podcast. If you want to learn more about Rolling Hills, you can download our app, 
follow us on social media, or visit our website at rollinghills.church. Tune in next week for more of our series, Masterclass.